Well, hey there, hi there, hold our forefront church. If you are new here, or perhaps we haven't spent any time together yet, my name is Pete. I am one of the elders here, and you may find me preaching up here a time or two from time to time, like when our, both of our main guys just happen to take the same day off. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, while the cats are away, the mice will play, amen? <laughs> amen. In all fairness, they both are still serving the Lord today, but in different capacities. But you all can open up your Bibles to Acts 15. That's where we'll be playing around this morning. So over the past several years, a certain phrase has gained some popularity. It started with sports writing, but just about all journalism outlets can be credited with using it, given the quick nature that they have to get something out because of how quickly news spreads. Some have described the phrase as an unpopular opinion or one that might stir up a bit of controversy. So, of course, it is used amongst all the social media outlets, podcasts, and the like. Church, perhaps you have heard or maybe even had one of these hot takes. <laughs> or maybe you're like me and didn't know you had one until you're talking with some friends about which epic film franchises you can't wait to introduce your kids to when they're old enough to watch them. And you let slip out that you're not a fan of the Lord of, Rings, Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, see, some of y'all are reacting as if I'm blaspheming up here. <laughs> so being sent underway by the church, they passed pass through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. You know, they're not letting... Certain men from Judea ruined their day. They're not outraging against the machine. They're out spreading joy. They're getting ready to contend with some serious leaders on a serious issue. I mean, this could, be, could have been a costly doctrinal war that ultimately splits and sours the church. But it appears that at least they are going into it level-headed. And I'm so glad that they did. Because now I could dine on swine with my ticket punched to heaven. I'm so glad that they did, because our hymns, well, they may have sounded a little different. Amazing circumcision, how sweet the sound. Or how about this one? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the law of Moses. I mean, those aren't very good, are they? My second point this morning is that debate should contain some grace. It is what is at the heart of this council that we're covering today. It's all about its grace. And you know, in other words, the believing Pharisees, well, they need love too. We shouldn't knock the circumcision party. After all, they were just trying to honor God the way that they know how. We can't question their sincerity after all, they made that long journey from Jerusalem up to Antioch. But you can be honorable, and you could be sincere, and still be wrong. Now, there is nothing that we can add to the work of Christ, but we should want to take up the character of Christ. There are faithful works and spiritual disciplines that we do to grow in our faith, to become more Christ-like, and to keep on kingdom building. 
And we do these out of love and respect and gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. And not that long ago, we had baptisms here. And one of our own, Eddie, well, he got up here and said, I want to be baptized because I want to be about my father's business. And church, we should all want to be about our father's business. But there's disagreements when it comes to what that looks like. Which faithful works and spiritual disciplines are most important? And for this reason, the Methodists don't like the Baptists. The Lutherans don't like the Presbyterians. And if you're wondering what forefront is, we are non-denominational, sprinkled with Baptist roots. So it's kind of like we got a dog in the fight, but we're willing to discuss some things. But we do run into the danger of these acts of discipleship, making us prideful and divisive, or even just making us feel like we're criticized and that we're judged. When church, we can be our own worst critic as a group and as individuals when we need to show ourselves some grace too. We can't let our evangelifish churchianity get in the way of people getting saved or ourselves staying convinced that we are in fact saved. I once had a counselor tell me in response to some depression that I was having that I needed to drop the should. She was continually hearing me say, oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. I should have acted out in that way. And she said, well, I could replace it with, well, it'd be cool if I said this. It'd be cool if I'd done that. It'd be cool if I acted out in that way. So church, if you want a blessing and purpose-filled life, well, it'd be cool if you served. It'd be cool if you gave. It'd be lit if you joined a life group. (laughs) And you'd be keeping it 100 if you prayed and read your Bible on the regular. And come to prayer night tonight at 5 p.m. (laughs) This great debate, folks, this Jerusalem council, well, it's stern, but it's also laden with grace. And our first speaker is Peter. He gets up to the mic and is like, this is my fight song, my take back my life song, my prove I'm all right song. Verse 6 says this. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter is a voice of reason here. He waited, and then he spoke. And what he's doing is recalling the way that God had already used him by using him to take the gospel to some Gentiles, Cornelius and his family. And if they weren't considered saved, God would not have given them the Holy Spirit. He also refers to the vision God gave him about clean and unclean animals when he says that he made no distinction between us and them, meaning no distinction between Jew and Gentile. 
And Pastor Drew, he broke down both of these nicely a couple weeks back. So be sure to check it out if you've missed. So Christians are not only saved by faith, but we are also cleansed by faith, according to the apostle. Peter then drops some more theological knowledge. In verse 10, he goes, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? It's like he's reminding the circumcision party of Israel's history of failures when it came to obeying the law, i.e., worshiping the golden calf, not observing the Sabbath, marrying pagan women, etc., etc. And where have we heard this yoke analogy before? Well, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, who says church? Jesus. Come on. Jesus. There it is. Matthew, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' yoke is easy because he obeyed the law perfectly fulfilling their requirement for us. He did the work, and we get the prize. Peter then ends with probably the most mic-drop-worthy moment of the council. In verse 11, he says this, But we believe that we will be saved through the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. If that isn't some last shall be first, first shall be last speech right there, I don't know what is. He could have reversed this by saying, well, they will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as we we had already done. But no. He says, we shall be just like them. And this really is a redemption moment for Peter. Because he was was once called out by Paul for being a little two-faced. There is an incident that happens in Galatians, which many theologians say might have happened before this council in Acts. So in Galatians 2, 11, 13, Paul says this. But when Cephas, Cephas is Peter in Aramaic, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? But Peter doesn't hold a grudge, even though Paul publicly shames him. Shames him. No, he shows an honorable commitment to God's truth rather than his personal feelings. So then, so then Paul and Barnabas, well, they come in like a wrecking ball. Because, you know, they never hit so hard at love and all they wanted was to break some walls. And verse 12 says this, and all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. If you want 
a lesson in grace and graciousness. There it was right there. Fall silent and listen. It is a very important part of good debate, which if you're like me, sometimes you're not intently listen, listening because you're thinking about what to say next. When Proverbs tells us this, in 18.13, it says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So first, Peter reviews the past. Paul and Barnabas, they talk about the present. And those signs and wonders were, were, were proof that they were God's chosen messengers. But Dr. Luke, he only gives us this one-sentence summary about what they say. But he, because he had already gone through great lengths talking about the first missionary journey earlier in the book of Acts, during which time, I mean, they preached on grace all over the place. But the late, great Charles Spurgeon Well, he has this to say about debate. When he says, To win a soul is a more glorious achievement than to be crowned in the arena of theological controversy. We win souls by showing grace, not by winning arguments. Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. My third point is this that debate should have some give and take. In other words, it might require a little bit of compromise. The Constitutional Convention required a little bit of compromise. Holy matrimony requires that 70-30 bit of compromise. (laughs) Hey, it's third world world of squirrels, right, fellas? (laughs) Debate should have some give and take, except when things that matter most important to Jesus. Love Jesus as Lord, no give and take. Love your neighbor, no give and take. But then, in this corner, the half-brother of Jesus, the author of the book of James, nicknamed James the Just because he's so well-known in Jerusalem, Brother James, well, he's seen as the chairman of this council. He gives us the closing argument, but also offers up some takeaways. Peter was concerned with the past. Paul and Barnabas talked about the present. James is concerned with the future and how they're all going to get along moving forward. So James comes in with the eye of the tiger, a fighter, dancing through the fire because he's like a champion and you're going to hear him roar. And verse 13 says this. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So first off, it has been said that James uses Peter's name because this is a Jewish issue. Nobody wants to call Peter Peter. We get Cephas, now Simon, my name being Peter. I'm starting to take offense for him. But James agrees with Peter by quoting the book of Amos when he says in verse 16, After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from old. The best place to find some common ground to stand on, 
to find the right kind of compromise for the right time is the word of God. Peter talked about his experiences. Paul and Barnabas talked about signs and wonders. Brother James takes it to the scriptures. And this verbiage, called by my name, well, that's noteworthy. This means it was always God's plan to create one people out of Jew and non-Jew through faith in Jesus Christ. And this was hard for the Judaizers to come to terms with. For after all, they were once God's chosen people. You know, they were once Yahweh's. Hence why they're trying to hold the Gentiles accountable to the law now. But James continues. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. James offers up a bit of compromise so that they can have, so that the Jew and non-Jew, well, they can have fellowship moving forward. It appears he's offering up some laws for the Gentiles to follow, but actually he's just asking them not to flaunt their Christian liberties. And because... We should understand that these are cultural compromises and not gospel compromises because grace still wins. Three of these asks are related to food. Eating together was huge during the forming of the early church and the Jewish people, well, they were known to have some kosher culinary practices like not buying meat at the market that had been used as a sacrifice and preparing meat by not strangling it and draining all the blood out of it before cooking. So essentially, James is asking that when they are around each other, be sensitive to not offend the other party by observing what they observe when they observe it. The sexual immorality clause, well, that addresses the heathen and pagan culture that the Gentiles were accustomed to, where one can marry along the same bloodline. So church, does being this polite and considerate sound like something we can do? Can we be a church that does this? Paul tells us how to do it a little more and later on in his letter to, to the Corinthians. When in Corinthians, Paul says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, by all means that I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. How do we do it? We become little gospel-bearing chameleons, blending into our environment in order to win people over. We do not do it by throwing out our own moral compass and becoming sin-bearing chameleons to win people over. We still got to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation set apart for his own possessions. We bend, but we don't break. This council 
It concludes by them drafting a letter to communicate all that they had discussed. And it reads like this. To the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and have troubled you with words, unsettling in your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. I mean, this letter, it expresses the loving unity of those who had been defending their opposing viewpoints. I like to think that it expresses that debate is okay. Debate should contain some grace, and that debate should have some give and take. Forefront, I hope you got something out of today. I'd like to close with verse 25 in mind. Verse 25 says, having come to one accord. Forefront, I think God wants us to be able to debate and to learn the art of loving compromise. And when we do so, that we may remain aware of how our decisions affect the united witness of the church. We don't want the rest of the world to see us not united. The, the Jerusalem Council, well, it kind of gives us a blueprint on how to hash things out for the greater good. Step one, we can recall how God has revealed something to us in the past and how it relates to the current issue as Peter does. Step two, we could give current testimony on current God's sightings on the issue as Paul and Barnabas do. Step three, we could certainly see what the word of God says on the issue as James does. So, for those of you who know me, know I have a background in recovery cycles, having gone through a bout with alcoholism myself. You know, I stayed sober for a really long time, and then I took a leap of faith. And I prayerfully decided, after talking to some Christian brothers, that I was going to have power over that and that I was going to be spiritually mature enough to drink responsibly. And so far, so good. And if you didn't know me, well, that cat is out the bag. But I bring that up because my wife was reminded of how I used to hash things out with other folks in recovery. And in thinking about it, I think it's relevant. I think it sounds a little like Paul and Peter. So if you will bear with me, I like to do a little bit of role playing. It looked a little like this. Bro, I had an expectation of you that you did not come through on, so now I got a resentment towards you, but I know I can't control you. I can only clean up my side of the street, so now I got to make amends to you. Bro, let me stop you right there. I may have manipulated that situation by playing the victim, which I know is one of my character defects, so now I'm trying to tell you the exact nature of my wrongs and make amends to you. That's kind of how it would go. And church, I say all of that because I think God wants us to be this transparent with one another, to have open and honest conversations with another, one another, and to do so to accelerate unity.
Just as, just as James gave stipulations, not out of Mosaic law, but out of the law of love, we ought to be able to debate from a posture of love. We ought to be able to do it in our friendships, relationships, discipleships, and pirate ships. <laughs> yes, we ought to be blessed peacemakers, but sometimes you've got to stir a pot in order to make some peace. I also think that God wants us to keep on kingdom building by not only spreading, but also de defending the correct gospel. Some will say you're only saved after you've taken your first communion. Some will say you're only saved after you've spoken in tongues. Some will only say you're only saved after you observe the Sabbath. Some will say you're only saved after you've been water baptized. But hashtag hot take, Jesus, Jesus wasn't flogged and scourged so that you can add to it. Jesus wasn't mocked and adorned with a crown of thorns so that you can add to it. Jesus didn't painfully push himself up by his nailed feet to breathe so that you can add to it. And Jesus didn't say with life diminished that it is finished so that one can add to it. No, salvation is a gift. It is freely given by the finished work of Christ. And once again, if you haven't received this gift, don't let the moment pass. Tap somebody on the shoulder. They'll either walk you through it or find you someone else to walk you through it. So church, can one be saved regardless of their opinion on the Lord of the Rings films? <laughs> yes. Can one be saved regardless of their opinion on the Rocky films? As much as I beg to differ. Yes. Because it is that simple. Jesus is the way the truth, the life. For anyone and everyone. Let's pray.